will be from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which bind them all together in perfect unity. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, when we think about this text, we, we are not just moved, Father, but we are challenged because we see the challenge that living the life of faith really is to our life on this planet. We, we give all that we are to you, Father, for your grace is great. We repent of all of those places in our life where we fall short and where we know that we live a life that is displeasing to you as a loving Father. And as we are grateful for that grace and that forgiveness in which we now stand because of peace that has been established through faith in what Christ has accomplished, we endeavor, Father, and ask for power and for skill to learn how to live these attributes in such a way that people notice your greatness through what they see being done, the changes being wrought in our own life. To this end, Father, we ask that you give us eyes to see the text and ears to hear it, to discern it, to know it, to taste it, to swallow and absorb it into all that we are, Father, and to be the people that you have always wanted us to be, to represent you and for people to see the beauty of your presence through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I really love uh, the fact that Paul led us in the Lord's Prayer this, this evening. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, as you know, uh, every, every part of it is a, is a sermon and, and something for us to contemplate and, and to meditate on as uh, not only a, a way to grow deeper in our prayer, but also to understand God and ourselves in light of God's presence and our faith in God's power. But it's that line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that every once in a while strikes me uh, like a baseball bat to the forehead and gets my attention. That is not just on earth in the abstract. It's not just something that we say because it's poetic and it's pretty and it's true, but it's something that we pray to God. It is a way that we've been instructed to pray in order to, to, uh, to order our minds in that direction, that, that the will of God is not just something that's supposed to take place on earth in the abstract. It's supposed to take place in our life, in the concrete. 
His will is, uh, as it is in heaven is to be done in my life and your life on earth every day. One of the great gospel claims is if someone goes and they meet the Christ and they commit themselves to Him wholeheartedly, sins forgiven, the gift of the Holy Spirit, repentance, confession, baptism, the whole thing, they commit themselves to Him wholeheartedly, they do not come back the same. They will not be who they used to be. The old person before Christ is going to be forever, ever, ever missing. The new person is forever becoming the image of the person that God always intended for you and to me and for all of us who call on the name of Jesus to be, and that is Christ-like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The old is gone. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. When a person comes under the reign of Christ, their old life is over. And when you confess that Jesus is Lord and accepted His gift of salvation, accepted His Lordship in your life, you were expressing your willingness to live in a new future. When you came into Christ, you were saying... That that old life and the old ways and the way that things used to be, those were the things that you did not want to have in your future. You were saying that you did not want things to be the same. So what is that new future going to look like? That's what Paul is going to describe at the end of chapter 3 that Billy just read for us. And in a lot of ways, when you think about the theology of Colossians, as you think about uh, Ephesians because of the similarity of the books, this is a, a, a perfect place. It makes sense to do what he's doing now because the groundwork about the greatness of Christ and the greatness of his gift has been laid. Now you'll remember that one of the things that we looked at in the last lesson last Sunday night was that being seated at the right hand of God where Christ is seated has some significant implications for us. What it means is that our reality is really a heavenly reality. But here's the question. What does a life that is seated with Christ at the right hand of God, what does a heavenly life look like on earth when you are united with christ and your life is established in heaven then your life is altered radically in other words when you live with christ in heaven you live for christ on earth in a radical and a different way now as as i've said just just a minute ago in, in previous lessons there's a lot of similarities between the letters to the church in colossi and the church in ephesus notice how paul writes this in ephesians chapter 4 he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, the old life, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self. To put on the new self, created to be like God. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice that line. New self created to be like God. 
I mean, that's one of the amazing things that he says at the very beginning of the fifth chapter, to be an imitator of God as beloved children. In the beginning, God was created to be like God. And is that not what it meant when Adam was told, and we are told through Genesis, that Adam was made in the image of God? He was created not to, to be like God, not a God, but to be created like God, in the image of God. But when Adam fell, he became deformed and no longer God-like or no longer like God. Then the second Adam, Christ, comes, the way that he is referenced in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, the new Christ or the new Adam, the second Adam, the Christ has come to restore that image that the first Adam deformed. Christ is going to transform us out of the old Adam into the image of God into the new Adam. The, the living Bible, which you know sometimes goes a little astray sometimes it's right on but in this particular passage Colossians 3 verse 10 I think it says something powerful it says you are living a brand new kind of life that is continually learning more and more of what is right and trying constantly to be more and more like Christ who created this new life within you now there's you know you can spend the rest of your life drawing out the implications of Colossians 3 5 through 14 I want us to look at three though what does a Christ-created life look like here on the planet? Number one, a can't-miss moral beauty. One of the things that, uh, that C.S. Lewis points out in Mere Christianity is that there is a, a basic code, code of morality that is accepted by all human beings. In every culture, in every age, there was a basic sense of right and wrong, very, very basic, that it's, it's wrong to steal, that it, it's wrong to lie, that cowardice on the battlefield was wrong. And, and if you go to the book, The Abolition of Man, at the end there's a, an appendix place where he lists in all of these cultures the similarities between their code of morality. And Lewis asked then, seeing all of this through the ages and through all cultures and through all peoples, where did this basic innate moral code come from? What he believed and argued in the book Mere Christianity is that it pointed to a being outside of human themselves that was moral in himself. And then Paul, Lewis, following Paul's lead, introduces us to an even higher morality than that which is innate in all human beings. You know, when you, when you look at uh, people walking down the street, you can sort of tell who they are by what they wear, right? If somebody is wearing green scrubs, what's his profession? Surgeon. If uh, somebody is wearing camo and they're carrying a rifle and they've got some grenades, what's their profession? They're a soldier. If he's wearing overalls and hanging from a giant hook, what is he? A crazy construction worker. The thing about Christians is that when they put on Christ, one of the things that they put on in the area of morality is a can't-miss moral beauty. There was, there was something about Jesus, and it wasn't just what he said. It was how he interacted with human beings on a regular basis that drew them to him. There was a beauty of his life. There was a life that they saw and they saw the beauty of it and they aspired to it and they wanted to know more about it and they spent time with him and they were moved by him and blessed by him. 
And as people became his followers, these disciples would never want to wear things like immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires or greed. All of those things that's listed chapter 3 verse 5. And one of the reasons that we don't wear those clothes is because we know that God's wrath is going to be poured out on people like that. He says in verse 6, because of these the wrath of God is coming. For those who are disciples of Jesus, these clothes do not fit anymore. Now, it's kind of an embarrassing thing to talk about at the beginning of the year, January and February, but have you ever put on a few pounds after the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays and then you tried to put on a pair of slacks and they just didn't seem to fit anymore? And then you kind of rationalize it, well, I just washed them and, and dried them in really hot air. They shrunk a little bit. Or you pull a shirt out of the dryer, it seems to have shrunk. It's just not that comfortable anymore. This is what Paul is saying about the life that you have taken off and the life that you have put, not put on in Christ. There are just certain things that just don't fit anymore. And that's what Paul is saying about life. The morality clothing needs to fit the new you and reflect that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You know, baptism is never going to drown the devil. And we are going to be tempted to go back to the closet and put on those old clothes from time to time. Uh, I'm old enough to remember a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson. And one of Flip, you guys remember Flip Wilson? If you're a millennial, I don't think you do, but probably if you're a boomer, you know Flip Wilson. There's a TV show. One of his main characters was this woman that he played called Geraldine. And there was an episode where she goes and she buys some clothes that she can't afford. They're really luxurious, they're really beautiful clothes. She doesn't have the money. And when she goes home, she's asked by her husband why she bought them when she knew that she shouldn't. And she said, well, I, I went into the dressing room, I tried them, on, tried them on, and the angel on my shoulder said, you shouldn't do it. But then the devil showed up and said, you should see what you look like from here. And the devil made me do it. Remember that line? <laughs> you know, one of the things that we sometimes forget is that there is, and this is one of the things that comes out of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, along with all of Torah, is written to get the people ready to go into the land again. And one of the lessons they get out of the first three chapters is that there is a malevolent force in the world that is working against them. Trust God. Satan will remind you that you like to look good in gossip or slander or lust. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is what are we going to do about that? Paul says, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you ruthlessly put to death those things that belong to the old nature. The big question is, okay, I've been trying and trying and trying. How do you do that? Well, in one short answer from Paul, you starve it. You starve that old nature. One of the things that Paul says in Romans chapter 13 is that you, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. You're getting the imagery here. It's the same as in Colossians and Ephesians. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not what think 
do not think about how to gratify the desires of the simple nature. Paul is, is, is saying that in, 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 in the church in Colossae, they had to realize that they have two natures. There, you know there's this old Native American uh, teaching that talks about in every human being there are two wolves that are trying to, to, to gain control or mastery over that life. One is good, one is bad, who wins? It's the one that you feed. And, and that's what is, Paul is saying to this church. Don't feed that side of your life. That, that side, that life is old and put off. That, that old clothing is never to be put on again. Don't even think about it. Think about the things that bring glory to God and bring righteousness into your life. That is, is clothing yourselves to look like the Lord Jesus. Don't think about the things or the ways that you can gratify the desires of that sinful nature. What Paul says in Galatians 5 is live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So there is this 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 never seen moral can't miss moral beauty that blossoms in your life it's like fruit in galatians 5 that the more that you walk in agreement with the spirit and think about those ways that 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 god changes you into a mini christ to use c.s lewis's words that that life begins to blossom in you and through space and time you realize there is a sense in which you're more self-controlled than you used to be that you are more forgiving, that you are more loving, that you are gentler than you've ever been in your life. There is a kindness that's just sort of erupting in your life right now and a generosity and all of these things because that's the part of you that you're feeding. But then there's a second thing and that's a never seen before equality. You know, the earth, and, and we know this, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time here, but the earth has all of these incredible labels. And, and, and you know what labels are? Labels are a way to look at a person one-dimensionally. And labels are a way to objectify people. You know what you're turning people into when you put a label on them? You're turning them into a can of vegetables. And what do you do with that label? If you're walking down the HEB and you're in the canned fruit and vegetable side, what are you doing with those labels? Green beans. I love them. Put them in the cart. Corn. I love them. Put them in the cart. Beets, oh, no, passing by the beach, don't want any beets. Asparagus, what kind? Put them in the cart. And you get the idea. Artichokes, no, 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 I don't think so. Palmer, I don't think so. You know, and, you, and that's what we do with people when we put labels on them. We say, these are the ones we want, and these are the kind that we don't want because of the label. And so in the United States, we have Democrat and Republican, and most recently, Libertarian. Black and white, rich, poor, smart, dumb, pretty, ugly, Mexican, American, Canadian. If you are a disciple of Jesus, though, then you see those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. You see old Adam or you see new Adam. Old Adam or new Adam. The kingdom of God is the most inclusive and exclusive kingdom in the world. When it comes to the kingdom of God, you cannot get in unless you say that Jesus is Lord and you are baptized into him. But it is so inclusive because anybody can do that. Verse 11, here there is no Greek or Jew, 
circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Living Bible says it this way, in this new life, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters, and he is equally available to all. From the, uh, the vantage point of being seated at the right hand of God, you see people from God's angle. Being seated with Christ at the right hand of God, you see people the way that God sees people, from the vantage point of God, from the angle of God, from the emotional filter of God. But unfortunately, that's not always the way that it is, it is in the church. The church has uh, sadly not lived up to that standard. One of my professors at ACU tells the story of uh, preaching for a church in the South where he was told not to baptize a black man. And he baptized that man and he was fired for it. And that was in the church that read these scriptures. God intended for the church to practice a unity and an equality among men that convicts a bigoted and racist world. When they look at us, they need to see how the gift of God through grace that reversed the effects of sin in order for us to come into relationship with Him also has reversed the effects of sin in the way that that sin through racism and bigotry and labels and all of these kinds of things drive men apart from each other. You know, sometimes Hollywood does get it right. Not often, but when they do, we need to say they get it right. Uh, there was a movie back in 1984 uh, entitled Places in the Heart. Uh, Robert Benton directed it. Um, Sally Field was in it. John Malkovich. You may remember the, the movie. There is uh, an ending scene that, that every time I see it still... Uh, chokes me up it's they're in the church at the very end of the movie the last five minutes of the movie and during communion all of these people white and black and rich and poor and male and female murderer and murder victim it's a surreal scene find themselves sitting together the same pew the church and the preacher stands up as they're passing communion and he says on the night before his crucifixion our Lord gathered with his disciples he broke the bread and blessed it saying take eat this is my body and he took the cup and said drink this is my blood which I shed for thee and as they passed the tray to each other black and white old and young male and female rich poor educated not educated scoundrel and moral example as they pass the communion that represents the one thing that can draw all of those different people together they say to one another the peace of Christ the peace of God the peace of God the church us practices a radical radical morality and a radical equality and then finally, a kind and gracious generosity. 
we're not merely known for what we don't do. You know, there was uh, that little ditty that we used to sing uh, when I was in my teens. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with the girls who do. We're not known for what we just, you know, stay away from, what we avoid, what we don't do. Goodness is, is not the absence of badness. We are to be known for what we do as well. In verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it? Gentleness, patience, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you might have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The reason such love can flow out of our lives is because we've been just overwhelmed and inundated by the love of God. And a lot of times we don't really think about it very deeply or very, uh, very carefully until we find ourselves having really plummeted to the bottom of this really deep pit and discover that not only are we still forgiven, we, we are forgiven, but that we are still loved. And that is what the beginning of verse 12 is trying to tell us. That we are dearly loved by God. I think of the hymn uh, that David Wellesley sings that we sing here sometimes. Uh, One thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. And that's the reason that we can put on this kind of love. It's because God is making us holy and God is, is, is making us precious. And God is making us the objects and the receivers of his love in a thousand million different ways every day. And what Paul is trying to tell the people in Colossae, if they get nothing else, live a life that is worthy of the truth of that reality. And right in the middle of all that, Paul tells us to do some of the most difficult things to do. Probably at the very top of that is forgive as the Lord forgave you. To forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now that's a tough one. Because it's hard to do that when you've been hurt, legitimately hurt by friends, by colleagues, by family, even fellow Christians. And the human reaction to all of that is is to bite back. It's to stab back. It's to get revenge. But here's the thing. Do we believe that God is able to handle without our help the problem of justice and injustice in the entire universe? What God wants is for you to give to that person 
what he has, God, has so freely given to you. You, you know, the, and you really can't forgive profoundly until I think that you've really come to grips with the kind of love that God has for us in forgiving us. You know, one of the really interesting things about love, or excuse me, about forgiveness, you know, forgiveness is really an accounting term. It means you're wiping the slate, you're, 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 you're clearing a debt out, you're saying that this thing no longer exists between you and me, you no longer owe me anything. It's an accounting term. But in practical terms that we deal with on a daily basis with human beings, what it means to forgive somebody is that you choose to suffer rather than making them suffer. You choose to suffer rather than making them suffer. You know, when somebody says something about you, they assassinate your character, or they do something to, to move ahead of you at the office, and it's, it, it's, it's not very uh, ethical, or they, they do something that, that hurts your feelings, or they disappoint you in some way, what is it that you really want to do? You want to hurt them right back. You want to make them suffer for the way that they have made you suffer. If you're a husband, what do you do? You, you know, how long does it take you when you start dating somebody before you know how to push their buttons and to hurt them? And when you've been married for a long time, it just comes like that in, in terms of your knowledge base, how to hurt your spouse. And so what do you do? You don't talk to them. You give them the silent treatment. Or you, do, you make them suffer because they made you suffer. But to forgive somebody means that you choose that you're going to suffer rather than they. Isn't that what Christ did? Is that not what God did in Christ? That he chose for us not to suffer, so he suffered. He loved the world. He chose to suffer by giving his only begotten son. And it's really hard to forgive somebody unless you've experienced the profoundness of that love that led to God forgiving you and you think about it and you ponder it and you swallow it and you deal with it and you embrace it and you, you pray about it and you pray for it until you have really gone down into the depths of God's love. It's going to be hard to forgive the way that God has forgiven you. And that's the part of the wolf that you feed. The part that's love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Again, I'm not saying it didn't hurt, and I'm, I'm saying it did. And maybe your heart was broken, and maybe it was broken a lot of times in a lot of places, but I am saying that you can put on the new clothes of the kingdom. You can be compassionate and you can be kind and you can be gentle and you can be patient not only with those that are closest to you and those that make up the new Adam in the body of Christ but even those that are out there on 410 driving like maniacs. And you can be forgiving. And I, I think that every community in the world is starving to see people like that seeing people who take life so seriously that in the call of Christ to, to put on Christ, those, that new clothing, 
But they begin to look on, 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 a, on a continuing basis to reflect that glory day by day, degree by degree, moment by moment. They increase in their ability to appear like the Christ before people. His attitudes, his love, his words, and people that have been touched by that and blessed by that and transformed and revolutionized by that are the kind of people that every community all over the world, regardless of language, regardless of whatever, this is what they need. Brandon's going to lead us in a song right now. And one of the ways that we keep moving forward in our walk with God is, is to, to be prayed for and to be open and honest about the things that we struggle with. And that's the opportunity that we have right now. We're going to have a couple of our spiritual leaders up here at the front, our shepherds. And if there are ways that we can pray for you or help you to be, move forward in becoming more like Christ, then we're going to ask you to come forward and talk to the shepherds while we stand and praise God together. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus' voice.